Welcome everybody to Clinical Pearls. My name is BJ Hamankuli and I'm here with my co-host Tracy White. Tracy, um, we have a very interesting guest coming on today. Um, got a question for you. What do you know about uh, human trafficking? Honestly, it's pretty much what I've seen in the media and in movies. Yeah. Like Taken. Yeah. You know, with Liam Neeson, which yeah. I, so embarrassingly, I guess, it, that is the extent of my knowledge of it. You know what? Don't be embarrassed because that's the thing that comes to my mind. Taken, you know? Um, you know, but as a clinician and as a father and a husband, I'm really interested to see what our next guest has um, in store for us. Yeah, Lauren's great. And I know that she brings up some things that we'll be able to use as clinicians and citizens of the world to help battle this problem. So I'm really excited to speak with her too. Everybody, tune in. The Well House is a 24-hour shelter offering immediate assistance to trafficked women who are rescued from anywhere in the United States. It began when a survivor of human trafficking realized there were no shelters solely for trafficked victims and determined that there was a need for a place of safety and trust for victims not yet rescued. The Well House was born from this vision. On this episode of Clinical Pearls, we are joined by Dr. Lauren Mays. She's a family nurse practitioner who maintains a clinical practice at the Well House, caring for the women there. Lauren was awarded a 2023 Padma Award. The Padma Awards are sponsored by the UAB Commission on the Status of Women and shine a light on those who go above and beyond to persevere in support of underrepresented populations. Lauren, congratulations on that award, and we are so excited to talk to you today. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Dr. Mays, for joining us. And uh, can you tell us a little bit about your background in healthcare? Absolutely. Um, so as you said, I am Lauren Mays. I'm an assistant professor at UAB School of Nursing, and I am a board-certified family nurse practitioner. I began my healthcare journey in 2007 as an associate prepared nurse. Um, I went to Bevel State in Summerton. Um, and from there, I, when I graduated with my associate's degree, I immediately started working um, as a bedside nurse at St. Vincent's in labor and delivery, where babies come from. Mm-hmm. Um, and while I was working at, in labor and delivery at St. Vincent's, I went back to school and did the BSN to MSN program, and I graduated with my master's. Um, of science and nursing in 2010, and I was done. I was done with school. Um, I said I was going to burn my books, have a bonfire, no more school for me. I had achieved my dream of becoming a family nurse practitioner, and um, lo and behold, as fate would have it, I ended up in academia. Um, So, of course, needed to go back to get my terminal degree, and I graduated with my doctor of nursing practice in 2018 from here uh, at UAB School of Nursing. Um, And I maintained a a practice as a family nurse practitioner over at UAB in the Kirkland Clinic. So I've always practiced as a nurse practitioner. I never stopped. Um, And in 2019, I believe it was, I was provided an opportunity to have a faculty practice at the Well House. Mm-hmm. And that is what led me there to the Well House to, to serve as a family nurse practitioner. So it sounds like you hadn't necessarily thought of caring for victims of human trafficking until you were provided this opportunity by a, a, another faculty member who I think was also practicing there and needed some help. 
and so thought of you. Um, so I think it's so interesting how you got into it. Um, can, can you tell us a little bit about what you've learned about human trafficking? What is it? Yes, yeah, absolutely. A lot of people may have heard about it, but don't know exactly what that means. Yes. And I'll, I'll be honest, I myself didn't even know really what it was before I was presented this opportunity. It's not really, you know, something that we talk about. And right. I'm so glad that I have this opportunity to talk about it today because there are a lot of misconceptions and there is that lack of knowledge on, you know, what is human trafficking? I mean, before I worked with this population, I had my own misconceptions. I had my own biases um, of what that actually meant. Yeah. Um, I feel like I was probably swayed by what the media portrays it as. And, you know, that's not always true. Um, human trafficking, actually. So you'll hear the term human trafficking a lot. Um, but that is actually the umbrella term for both labor trafficking and sex trafficking. Um, sex trafficking is defined as a commercial sex act that is induced by force, fraud, or coercion, or in which a person is um, has to undergo or perform an act that is not 18 years of age. So basically, let me rephrase that, a pediatric patient who is under the age of 18 does not have to have force, fraud, or coercion. That is trafficking, period. Um, um, an adult does have to have that force, fraud, or coercion. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Labor trafficking, which is that second part of human trafficking, um, is the recruitment, harboring, transportation, or provision um, of a person for labor or services through that use of force, fraud, and co or coercion. So there is some overlap with the force, fraud, coercion. That's kind of the, the means of how it's done. Um, but sex trafficking is commercial sex acts. Mm -hmm. Labor trafficking is working conditions. Okay. Things. So um, I know you say that, you know, this role was kind of something that you got into, you know, but I can tell you have a passion for it, you know, and what do you see your role is as a family nurse practitioner with the current um, uh, individuals that you, you care for? So my role in their care is primary care and health promotion, mm -hmm. preventative services, because um, these are normal individuals who unfortunately have had, who have experienced trauma in their life through being trafficked. Um, so my role in caring for them is really kind of getting them back at that baseline of health and what can we do moving forward? You know, um, I look at them as individual people, um, which is, and I hope we're going to talk about trauma-informed care at some point during this um, episode, uh, but I look at them as this is who they are and all of those circumstances are kind of just floating in the air around them, if you can visualize this with me. Um, so I don't focus on the history of substance use, substance use or, you know, a lot of those things that sometimes gets put in front of our eyes in healthcare, but unless we're trained to see past that of what's going on in this individual and why. So if we can get past that and use that trauma-informed lens where we're just kind of really getting to the root of that individual to care for them from that point forward. That is my role in their care in this clinic. It sounds like you have 
you in general, all of us as healthcare providers and just citizens of the world, overcome that bias that you talked about? Mm -hmm. Are you comfortable speaking a little bit about what those biases are, both for us as those providers and anyone, um, and and what you mean by trauma-informed care and how are those related? Okay, yes, I will. That is a loaded question, yes. so we may have to revisit the second part of that sure, question. Sure, sure. Um, so let me speak to some of my own misconceptions. Like, you know, I, I feel like I was naive to think um, that it was it was voluntary. Um, it was prostitution. It was, you know, with my experience in working in labor and delivery, I've had a lot of experience in women's health. And let me also bust that myth. It's not just women who get trafficked. Yes, I am going to refer a lot to women because that is the population that I care for because the, the well house is a residential facility for female survivors of sex trafficking. Um, but there are studies that show that it actually occurs in up to 29% males and 71% females. So it is majority women, but it can also happen in men. So I don't want that to be misconstrued. Yeah. So we talk about prostitution. I, you know, I would care for a patient who maybe came in with, um, who had substance use. And I'm like, you're pregnant, you know, thinking, I would never say this, of course, to a patient, but right. you're pregnant. Like, how are you continuing to use these yeah. substances that's going to affect you and your baby? So that, again, was one of my own personal biases. And I think back now, I mean, what, that was 17 years ago. Right. Um, so I've come a long way, but I think back now, like, what if I would have said, you know, I understand this is difficult. You know, what, what if we figured out, oh, that woman beside her, it, it wasn't her sister or her best friend there. It was probably another lady that was being trafficked, which they refer to as the bottom. There's a whole vocabulary list too wow. I can provide to you. Mm-hmm. Um, so it could have, you know, it could have been a traffic victim. I don't know because I didn't have the right tools in my own mindset to ask the right questions to figure that out. But that's my goal now in educating nurse practitioners and also having this as a faculty practice mm-hmm. is to provide people with those tools to know, A, what's going to be that red flag that sparks, hmm, something's not right here. B, what are questions that I could ask? What are things that I could look for in the healthcare setting that would help me help that person? Um, another study showed that individuals who are being trafficked, up to 88% of them present to a healthcare setting, but only 19.5% are identified as victims of trafficking. So that's 70% that we're missing. So like what, obviously there's a gap in knowledge. Mm -hmm. Um, There's a gap in disclosure. I mean, they're not gonna say, oh yeah, I'm a victim of trafficking. In fact, one of the surprising things I've learned in my clinic, they don't even, because they are so traumatized and they have that trauma bond with their trafficker, a lot of times they don't even realize that they were being trafficked until we can kind of break all those pieces. I I explain it to them, you know, trauma is like a jigsaw puzzle. And right now we have thrown that jigsaw puzzle in the air and there are pieces everywhere. So until we can start to put those pieces back together and fill in those gaps, they can't even see the full picture of what was going on. Yeah. So, you know, I can see the passion just uh, listening to you. Um, However, you know, one thing that you mentioned was the fact that, you know, us as clinicians sometimes miss those signs, those clues. And in just maybe a minute or so, 
what are some things that you can tell me as a, as a nurse practitioner, what should I be looking out for as I'm uh, examining a patient that comes to my emergency room for like, let's say, um, a stomach pain, uh, ache, you know? What are some of those things that I can look for that would be uh, alarming to you know, somebody who's uh, victimized? That's a great question. And I don't have a straightforward answer. Mm-hmm. Um, because there is not one set of defining characteristics um, or diagnostic criteria for identifying a potential victim of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is important to recognize those emotional, mm-hmm. behavioral, uh, physical, and social signs of trafficking in order to best assist these individuals. Uh, possible cues that you're encountering a potential victim of trafficking may include uh, they're being controlled by someone else. Uh, They don't have access to their documents, such as their driver's license or their passport, or, you know, um, someone else is answering questions to them, for them. Signs of physical abuse, like bruises, physical traumas. When we talk about trauma, I like to define big T trauma as those physical traumas, the bruises, the broken bones, the head injuries, those type things. Um, Little T trauma is what I'm most passionate about, which is what we're talking about today. Uh, Mental health concerns, like if they're super anxious, if they're depressed, uh, substance use, that's another common one to look for. They may also exhibit signs of malnutrition, sleep deprivation, um, and again, have no form of that identification. Mm -hmm. Other red flags that would alert you to a potential victim of sex trafficking include no evidence of a stable home or address. Maybe they don't even know, you know, I'm in Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, They may say they're just traveling and they were stopping by. Um, They may be unfamiliar with their whereabouts. Uh, They also may have a loss of time, may not even realize like what month it is. You know, sometimes, sometimes, because here's another possible misconception. You know, we think about people who are trafficked you go to Target, you're shopping, you park beside this white van, you get taken from the parking lot and you're locked away. Um, some some individuals may be locked away and not in public, yeah. not able to come out. But more times than not, they're walking they're walking around amongst us. us. They're wow. they're amongst us. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's all kinds of ways to be trafficked. A lot of them are trafficked by their own family members, their own spouses. So you don't always think about it's just the poor little girl down the street who was in foster care. Like, yes, that could also be a concern, but it may also be the very wealthy family who's living in the million dollar home whose child met uh, someone on the internet and they want to go meet them. Um, So it's kind of always being on the lookout of those clues. There's not a demographic characteristic that would necessarily assist you, but it's kind of putting all of those things together. I'll never forget, I was at a national conference of uh, physician was talking and he always says 2020 is, I mean, hindsight is 2020. And he said he was caring for, he, he was a resident at the time and he was working in the ED and a 13 year old, 14 year old, a early adolescent had come into the emergency room, had gotten in a fight, had multiple physical injuries, bruises, broken bone, you know, nothing, Nothing severe said she gotten in a fight with someone at school. He treated her. He sent her home. Didn't think anything of it. 
A few years later, the same individual comes in. So now she's like 15, 16. She comes in um, because she was having some pelvic symptoms. Mm -hmm. Well, she had multiple sexually transmitted infections um, and she was pregnant. Mm -hmm. So they treated her due to her age. They also referred her to their social worker within the hospital so that she could get some assistance with, you know, being young and pregnant and those type of things. Um, he said a few years later, once he had, you know, finished medical school, finished his residency, he was working, he established a clinic that was a free clinic um, for individuals who were trafficked. He said, lo and behold, who walked through those doors? And it was that same girl that he had treated 10 years ago. Um, and he was like, had I recognized these signs earlier, like what could, what would her life look like now? that she's coming in this clinic. So I'll never forget, like how many times have we probably encountered an individual in the healthcare setting? It's not always the ER. Like, you know, one of my first um, individuals I cared for, she had the most beautiful teeth. And I just kept coming. I'm like, my goodness, your teeth are just like gorgeous. Um, you know, I was like, talking to her about her dental health and she was like oh yeah i go to the dentist every six months and i'm like and how long have you been traveling she said nine years and i was like so you have been seeing a dentist every six months and there have never been yeah. right so like it's not just nurses it's not nurse practitioners it's not physicians it's all of us yeah. um so you know had the dentist even been able to recognize those signs in any setting what would her life look like at this point? You know, would she be sitting in front of me that's a rescue center for victims of sex trafficking? And it's scary. So I see a lot of women who are kind of in and then out and maybe back in. Um, but one study that I read recently said that individuals who are being trafficked have a seven-year life expectancy while they are in the life, which is the term that is used when individuals are being trafficked at that time. So, you know, we have a duty in healthcare, uh, in any setting, to identify these people and get them out of the life because, you know, what if these individuals didn't make it past that seven-year life expectancy mark? So it's very important to, to share this information and to educate yourself. Unfortunately, it's not standard in any medical curriculum. I will say that uh, tr uh, truckers do a really good job. They have mandated trafficking education. It's called Truckers Against um, Trafficking, actually. Mm -hmm. And they do mandated trafficking education um, for those people who work in that area. Mm. Healthcare, what do we have? There is no mandated education on trafficking. I'm working actively to change that. So hopefully in the next several years, there will be something that's mandated. Um, medical school, they don't have anything mandated. There's a few hospitals that require their, you know, new hires as part of orientation or as part of those continuing education to have like a one hour in service on it, but not all, all hospitals do that. So there's really kind of an opportunity for us to get this in all of our curriculum, um, to get this to all of the providers who are out there already working, who miss that opportunity, if it is ever pushed into curriculum, um, to be able to identify these individuals, recognize those signs, those symptoms, um, in order to help them get out of the life.
uh, you've I, this uh, some of these it's just heartbreaking some of the the stories um unfortunately um so thank you for sharing those i am wondering you know just from what we have what we know today if we do suspect something just isn't right so mm-hmm. maybe you know i would think oh I don't know what it is, but it's not normal. Like it's, it's something is feeling off to me. Mm-hmm. Where do I go from there? Who, who do I even call if, if our healthcare system is not set up with some kind of formal system, where do I go? What kind of steps do I take to That's help? a good question. And the very first thing is to ensure your own safety and the safety of your patient. Because if you are talking with an individual and there are traffickers beside them, and you're starting to suspect something, and you start to raise those questions, like even if you're not asking directly. I mean, if you ask somebody, are you being trafficked? Nine times out of 10, they're gonna tell you no. Right. Okay. So I would make sure, one tip to to be able to ask, you know, are you comfortable? Do you feel safe? Those type things, um, is to get them away from that person that they're with, if you can, so that you can have that conversation. But even then, a lot of times they're not going to disclose because that is where that trauma-informed approach is. And you've got to be able to develop that rapport and that relationship with the patient in order for them to trust you to disclose that information. So let's just say you suspect it. It's not confirmed or you ask the patient and they tell you no because they're not going to tell you. Um, what you can do is two things. Number one, you could call the national hotline yourself. And the easiest way to remember this is 888-3737-888. That is the national trafficking hotline. Um, I'll repeat that. It's 888-3737-888. You can call them yourself and just report, you know, the facts of what you see, what you, what's going on, where you're at, where they're located. If it's an adult, there's not much they can do unless that patient wants the help at that moment. You can also secretly um, provide that number to that individual. Like, look, you know, I understand that this is probably not a good time for you to call this number, but if you're ever at a place where you feel like you need some assistance getting out of this situation, call this number, they can provide help. Um, In fact, that's how we get a lot of our individuals to the well house is through contacting that national Um, hotline. Wellhouse is one of their resources that they refer to. So therefore, we have women all over the United States who come to the Wellhouse for care. Um, So if you suspect that, I would suggest calling that national trafficking hotline number. If it's pediatric, if it's remember under the age of 18, we must report that in healthcare. And yeah. you, you should also be aware of your reporting requirements based on what state you're in, because, you know, different states have yeah. different reporting um, measures. But in Alabama, absolutely, if they're under the age of 18, that should be reported. Um, and it's typically uh, reported to your local law enforcement, who may also refer you to Homeland Security. Okay. Interesting. Yeah. So, um, you know, for any clinician that's listening to us, um, that may be a nurse, nurse practitioner, or physician, or a dentist, or a dentist. Correct. Yeah, that's a good <laughs> yes, point. That's I love a good that. Point. Um, is there any continuous education offerings out there, whether it be uh, online CE activities or in person? I know you do a lot of talks. Um, 
you know, in the state regarding to trauma-informed care. Where can somebody go? Is there a reputable uh, online source um, to educate themselves more on trauma-informed care? Absolutely. Um, there are really good resources that are available. Um, one of my favorite is Nurses United Against Human Trafficking. You don't have to be a nurse to complete that, but you can also, you can actually complete that for CEU. So there's kind of a double bonus there. You're getting the education, but you also can use it towards your recertification. Um, I have also seen recently a lot of our national organizations are getting behind raising awareness. Um, in fact, uh, I think someone forwarded me an email from NapNap. Y'all may not be members of that, but where they were providing a free in-service for members of that organization. So AAMP was also another big one that has recently offered raising awareness on human trafficking webinars, um, informational sessions. So I would check with your national organization to see what is available because that is going to be a reputable source. Um, I would also suggest that Nurses United Against Human Trafficking, um, that is a really good resource too, and it comes with a lot of CEUs. Those are great resources. I do want to circle back quickly about trauma-informed care. Mm -hmm. And we've used that term a little bit. I, I would just like for you to kind of Tell us a little bit more about what that is in general and how trauma-informed care, I think we use it not just for patients or people that we think are trafficked, but in general, that's a lens that perhaps we should be looking through for a lot of people. For all the people. Grief, all the people. All yeah. the people, yes, yeah. no matter. You know, we all have individual circumstances. It, Like you said, it doesn't have to be a trafficking experience. It could have been... Maybe you were in a really bad car accident when you were younger and that has traumatized you and that trauma lives on in your mind and you're constantly kind of aware of your, you know, yeah. there, it could be any type of life situation. Um, of course, trafficking, I refer to that as using the trauma-informed approach because that's where my experience is, but it should really be with any individual. And the way that works is... Um, our, I recently heard the term relationship-centered care, and I was like, that's trauma-informed care, where you're building that trust, you're building that relationship with that individual, um, and you're really, you want to you want to make them aware that your team, you know, what are you comfortable with? What are your health goals? What do you want to see yourself do? Um, because I have found that if you don't address what they're wanting, you're not building that trust. Right. And so is that always realistic? Probably not because, you know, they come in with, say, an ingrown toenail, but their their blood pressure is 200 over right. 100. You know, obviously my priority is their blood pressure, but their priority, they could care less about their blood pressure. Their priority is that ingrown toenail is hurting them. So I use that jokingly as an example of trauma-informed care would be me, yes, addressing that toenail, like, you know, to their liking, mm -hmm. um, but also saying, you know what, this blood pressure is this, and just kind of stating the facts. Is it okay if we do this? You know, asking permission, uh, respecting their wishes, resisting re-traumatization, meaning, you know, we don't want to do something that re-traumatizes mm -hmm. them. I ask a lot of my patients, you know, after I build that rapport and trust with them, you know, I'll just spontaneously say, did you ever see a healthcare provider while you were being trafficked? Some say yes, some say no, some say, you know, only if I needed to. 
And I would ask them, what made you, like, how did they, did they know you were being trafficked? A lot of times they know. What would have made them, what would have made a difference in that visit? And they said nine times out of 10 that they felt shameful. They felt judged. They felt like they were just being looked at as those, those external factors like substance use, substance use, those type things. So what that told me was a trauma-informed approach was not utilized. So we were being judgmental. We were probably making those unrecognized, you know, those um, implicit bias facial expressions like, oh, you're pregnant and you have positive drug screen. Like, this is lovely. Whereas had we used that trauma-informed approach, perhaps we could have broken that barrier to identifying that person. So trauma-informed approach, in a nutshell, is really about getting yourself at the level of that patient, asking permission. I never go in and just grab their arm and put a blood pressure cuff on it. Is it okay if I take your blood pressure? Is it okay if we do this? Do you mind if I look in your ears? Like I am letting them know that they are in control of this visit and of this this time with me. We're a team. What can I do to build your trust? What can I do to form a relationship um, to help promote their health and wellness? Okay. Wow. So, you know, I think, you know, from what I've read, you know, trauma-informed care seeks to integrate knowledge and tra- about trauma into policies, procedures, and practices. How are we doing that in our current, you know, in the state of Alabama? Do we have any current legislation that tries to uh, address this? That you can speak of? Not that I can speak of. I will say that it's hit or miss. It's not widespread mm-hmm. policy, which is why this these topics are not in all of our curriculum as standard. Mm-hmm. Um, I will say that probably forensic nurses do a really great job of that. And I think we probably all incorporate some pieces of this. Like when we talk about violence, whether that be domestic violence, intimate partner violence, you know, those type things. I think that we promote sensitivity, but I'm not sure that we do a great job of promoting that trauma-informed lens. Um, So broadly, Mm -hmm. I don't think that we do enough Mm -hmm. when we talk about affecting policies, procedures, those type things at the state level or the federal level at this point. but we need to follow in the footsteps of those truckers because that is yeah. <laughs> that is federal and they all are required to go through. So obviously they have affected policy. Yeah. They have affected their procedures. They have affected their processes for that workforce. So we need to bond together and do yeah. that for healthcare. Okay. You know, I actually have been hearing a lot about those advertisements on the radio um, and I think the truckers are getting the message uh, okay. yeah. well, that's amazing yeah. I'm really proud of, of yes. them we need the truckers yeah. to come teach us exactly <laughs> exactly we would welcome them um, well I this has just been such a wonderful conversation mm-hmm. and brought to light a lot of ways that I think we as healthcare providers and just like I said citizens of the world um, can you know look think we can look out for and I love that number and we'll make sure to put that number in our um, notes for other people so they can remember that. Um, Just, I would love to hear from you some final thoughts, takeaways. What do you want us to know? What do you want our listeners to leave here knowing about this topic? I want you to leave with 
knowing that trafficking can happen to anyone. It's not just one certain profile. Um, when you do think you are encountering a victim of human trafficking, be sensitive. Try to, I want you to visualize that person in the middle with all of those experiences just floating around them, okay? So take that out of the forefront of your vision um, to develop that relationship-centered, trauma-informed approach. And although they may not be ready to exit the life, because there's a lot of risk that are associated with that, as long as you have the tools in your own tool set to be able to spark the red flag that would either prompt you to call that national hotline, 888-3737-888, or provide that number to that individual, in the end, you may make a difference. It may be three years from now that that person decides to call the national trafficking hotline number, or it may be the next day. You don't know, but you can feel comfortable that you've done all you can do at that moment to try and help that person. Thank you, Lauren. Thank you. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you very much. And I hope uh, our audience uh, was able to just get something out of this conversation, because I think this is what it was, a conversation on trauma reform care and uh, the trafficking issue. Any final uh, words from you, Tracy? No, just thank you so much. What a wonderful conversation. And to our listeners, thank you for joining us. And we will talk with you next time on Clinical Pearls.